Friends, are you prepared to dive into the Word this morning? Are you prepared to dive into the Word this morning? Amen. Um, I have to say a word for those of you who will be watching this live stream, not right now, but sometime in the future. This is not our normal set design. Um, I think I need to say that, um, just in case you might. BBS is happening tomorrow, and our students are going to have a great time. Um, we didn't have BBS sets in my church when I was growing up like this. This is something else. Definitely next level. Round of applause to our uh, uh, Vacation Bible School team. All the hands that went into making this great. But today we are continuing in our Choose Wisely sermon series. Throughout this series, we are looking at the choices, good and bad, um, made by Old Testament kings of Israel and Judah. And the goal of this series is to help us to evaluate how to make wise decisions. We all need that. Being able to stop and take a look at the lives of those who've gone before us, learning from their triumphs as well as their mistakes, is a huge bonus for us in the here and now. Today we're going to be looking at the book of 2 Chronicles chapters 17 through 20, looking at the life of King Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now there are many things that characterize King Jehoshaphat's life, but one of the main distinctives that we glean from looking at his life is his courage. Now when we think of the word courage, we oftentimes think of bravery, we might think of fearlessness, somebody who's willing to move forward into what, no matter what's happening, they're just going to go forward. When I was a child, it was my perception that courage would just come with age. I remember thinking, I can't wait till I'm older and then I will not be afraid anymore. That's what I thought. Because when I was a kid, I was a bit of a fraidy cat. I especially remember being afraid of my basement. Is there anybody here that's willing to admit you're afraid of the basement? Right? Some of us still as adults are afraid of the basement. Now, in my childhood home, our basement light switch was at the bottom of the stairs. Some of you had homes like this, I hear. Um, which meant that I had to turn off the light in the basement and then run up the stairs as fast as I can before the boogeyman came around the corner because he was just around the corner, right? I literally remember coming out, making it through the threshold of the door into the light um, and then realizing how silly it was that I couldn't just walk up the stairs, but I couldn't walk up the stairs. I was too afraid. Now in 2023, our house has a light switch at the top of the basement stairs, so I no longer have to run out of our basement anymore. It's a very good thing. But the idea that I had as a child that I would simply grow out of fear and into courage, it didn't quite work out how I thought. And now that I've grown older, I just realized that there are new things to be afraid of. I may not be afraid of the basement anymore, but there are always new phases of life that we're entering into. And in those new phases, there are also new fears to be conquered. The truth is we never age out of fear and into courage. And from a biblical perspective, courage has little to do with the absence of fear. A good definition of courage from a biblical perspective is the ability to act in faith and trust God despite fear or uncertainty. The ability to act in faith and to trust God despite fear or uncertainty. 
And so we see from this definition that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the ability to trust God in spite of whatever may be going on in our lives. One of the things that I want us to understand this morning is that being able to exhibit courage in our lives is a crucial part of the Christian life. In order for us to be resilient disciples of Jesus Christ, courage is a huge component of what we need to add into our lives if it doesn't exist there already. And why do I say that? Because we live in a world where pursuing God will oftentimes be met with opposition. There are good things that God is inviting each and every one of us into, but that path will not be easy. It will be good, but it will not be easy. And if we are to be unshackled from our fears, it will be trust that we have in our God that will carry us through. And so as we look at the life of Jehoshaphat this morning, we're going to see three distinctives of his life and ministry that we can learn from. Jehoshaphat had work to do for the Lord. He also was afraid to do it, but nevertheless, he answered the call of courage in his life. So let's pray as we begin that the Holy Spirit will come, teach us what we need to learn this morning from his word. God, we we thank you for the example that you give us in your word. So many people who went before us in the faith, who walked with you, who talked with you, who had obstacles in their way to becoming resilient for you. And Lord, these examples are given that we might learn. These are not just good stories. Or these are truths that we can take and imply to our own lives so that we might live how you desire your people to live, Lord. And as we do that, we gain benefit, we gain blessing So, Lord, we ask that we might be unshackled from the fears that entangle our lives, Lord, and we might move confidently into your will for each and every one of us this morning. Lord, give us a sense of that. May your Holy Spirit come, anoint these words, Lord. We pray in Christ's name, amen. If you haven't done so already, please turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 17. To give you some context for the time period we're jumping into, Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah. Remember a few weeks ago, we learned that due to Solomon's unfaithfulness towards the end of his reign, God has split the nation into two tribes. The northern tribe is called Israel, and the southern tribe is Judah. Jehoshaphat became king after his father Asa, who was also a faithful king to the Lord. And this is in the lineage of David. We're going to pick up in 2 Chronicles 17, starting in verse 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. All right, so there's several things that we see here. First is that God was with Jehoshaphat because he was following the ways of David and his faithful father Asa. 
What we learn from this is that God honors faithfulness with faithfulness. Jehoshaphat came from a lineage of faithfulness. And so he's following suit and he's receiving blessing because of that. God is with Jehoshaphat. Second, we see here that Jehoshaphat doesn't consult the Baals. This simply means that he doesn't chase after other gods. Jehoshaphat isn't into idols. The Baals were the gods of the Canaanites. Jehoshaphat is not into idol worship, which is a very good thing. But what I want us to focus on in this passage here is where it says in verse 6 that he, Jehoshaphat, removed the high places in the Asherah poles from Judah. We learned this a couple of weeks ago, that the high places were often places erected to idol worship. Solomon lost his standing before the Lord because he built these high places for his wives and for other people that he was trying to oppress, neighboring uh, uh, factions that he was trying to influence. Therefore, the nation of Israel were beginning to become polytheistic because of this practice. And now we see here Jehoshaphat is reversing this. He's tearing down these idols and restoring the order of worship to the one true God. He's getting the nation back on track. Now we might all think that this is good leadership, and it is. We might all think that what Jehoshaphat's doing here is a normal good idea, and it was. But it must have been a bit scary for him to make this move. Because over many decades now, the practice of erecting high places to idols have been integrated into Hebrew culture. They were used to this. Jehoshaphat coming in and clearing out all of the idols certainly would have drawn the ire of many in the nation. But Jehoshaphat does not care about that. And it's not that he doesn't care what anyone thought. I'm sure he did. It's that he cared far more about what the one true God thought. And this is where courage becomes very important. Courage is not knowing what to do and then not doing it. Courage also isn't knowing what to do and then waiting and waiting and waiting for the perfect opportunity to come along eventually. Courage is acting in faith and trusting God without fear. Courage is knowing what to do and doing it because you believe that God has your back. Clearly, Jehoshaphat believes that God has his back. And that is why he is choosing the wise thing here. This brings us to our first truth this morning. Fear evaporates the more we choose to trust in God. Fear evaporates the more we choose to trust in God. You know, we often fear the wrong things in life, don't we? I am so guilty of this. How many of you have like the present memory of that? You have a fear in your life. Something is, is troubling you. It's drawing angst. You, maybe you can't sleep. You're just constantly worried that this thing is going to happen. And then it never happens. And then you look back on all the time you spent being fearful of that thing. You're like, oh, that was such a waste of time. And then guess what happens? The next fear comes along and you're like, okay, I'll worry about that too. I'll be fearful of that too. And then that doesn't happen. And then we're like, you know, the cycle. But we often fear the wrong things in life. Is anyone here afraid of flying? 
There's a hands, a couple, several in here afraid of flying. Do you know that you have a point zero 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 one percent chance of dying in an airplane crash? On the other hand, the car insurance industry estimates that the average driver will be involved in three or four car wrecks in their lifetime. Anyone afraid of heights? Heights. Okay, more people are afraid of heights. Thank you for being honest. It's the second most reported fear. So there's a lot of people who are afraid of heights. Some of you didn't raise your hands. Your chance of being injured by jumping, falling, or being pushed from a high place is 1 in 65,000. The chance of having your identity stolen is 1 in 200. Anyone here being, fear being killed by a bolt of lightning? Is anybody afraid of thunderstorms? Right? Okay, a couple hands. The odds of that happening are 1 in 2.3 million. 1 in 2.3 million, which means that you can go and play in the next thunderstorm. You'll be all right. <laughs> you are much more likely to be struck by a meteorite than you are by a bolt of lightning. The chances of being struck by a meteorite are 1 in 700,000. So you're really afraid. Just be afraid of those meteorites. How about dogs? Anybody afraid of dogs being, being bit by a dog? Anybody have the fear of that? Maybe it happened in the past, right? Their bark really is worse than their bite. Your chance of suffering a dog bite is 1 in 137,000. Not very likely. On the other hand, your chance of being injured while mowing the lawn is 1 in 3,000. How about sharks? Sharks gets a lot of hands. It got a lot of hands in the first service, too. Sharks are up there. You are much more likely, though, to be killed by your spouse. <laughs> one in 135,000 than a shark, one in 300 million. Have fun down there in Rehoboth. Have fun at the Jersey Shore. You are not going to get bit by a shark. Now, the point of this illustration isn't for you to start becoming more fearful of identity theft, meteorites, or your spouse. But it is to illustrate how easy it is to misjudge what we should actually be afraid of. I want to live my life in such a way that I am fearful of letting God down. But that is my fear. I believe that Jehoshaphat thinks similarly to this, and that's motivating his actions in our text. This is the reason why he doesn't care who he angers by tearing down the idols in the places of idol worship. He didn't care about that. He's more concerned, what does the Lord think? Because you see, when we truly understand who God is and fear him only, all the other fears of this life seem small by comparison. They evaporate like mist in the face of the Almighty. But you see, we oftentimes get this backwards, though. We fear our boss at work. We fear the news that we're going to get ready to receive from our doctor. We fear the past due bill or the whatever that, that fear is for us. 
While at the same time, the God of the universe, he's inviting us into relationship where we are secure, where we are satisfied. He takes our burdens from us. He heals our wounds. He is enough. Friends, if you are struggling with fear this morning and you would like to have more courage, cry out to God today. There is no doubt that in a room this large with this many souls, that there are some of us that are struggling with a, with a fear right now. Cry out to the Lord. He is listening. Cast whatever it is on him. He is strong enough and resolve to trust him with it. Jehoshaphat must have been fearful to remove the high places of worship, but he knew that it was right, so it didn't matter. And for us today, let's move forward into the right things, no matter what they may be, no matter how scary they may be, because we know that there is reward from the Lord on the other side due to our obedience. Fear evaporates the more we choose to trust in God. And so back in our text, what's awesome about what Jehoshaphat does here? is that he doesn't just remove the high places. He doesn't just like order his people just to remove the high places and consider that good enough. In chapter 17, verses 7 through 9, it goes on to explain that after he removes them, he then sends officials to teach in the cities of Judah. Basically, Jehoshaphat sends missionaries into Judah to help re-educate the people back to Yahweh. But in chapter 18, Jehoshaphat makes an alliance with the northern king of Israel, Ahab. And this turns out to be a huge mistake because Ahab is a bad dude who is more interested in doing what he wants to do than what God wants him to do. Ahab does not have the fear of the Lord. And what Ahab wants to do is he wants to take Ramoth-Gilead, a neighboring city. Ahab desires war. He desires conquest, but he knows that he doesn't have enough might, enough men, enough swords to do this on his own. And so he calls on Jehoshaphat and Judah to help him. And Ahab convinces Jehoshaphat to join in. The prophet Micahiah tells them not to do this, to not to try to take Ramoth-Gilead, that God was not in this plan. This was not God's will for them. But Ahab and Jehoshaphat do not listen. They go to battle anyway. Ahab is killed in this battle, and Jehoshaphat barely escapes with his life. And so as you pick up the story back up in chapter 19, God is not happy with Jehoshaphat. He did not listen to the prophets. He allowed himself to be influenced by Ahab. He compromised all the earlier progress he had made to reform Judah. But as we approach Jehoshaphat in our text again, instead of feeling sorry for himself, instead of blaming Ahab, this is Ahab's fault, it wasn't me. What we're going to see here is Jehoshaphat respond in faith. Picking up again in 2 Chronicles 19, starting in verse 4. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem. And he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges in the land in each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, consider carefully what you do. 
because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. Pause there. So Jehoshaphat, after failing big time, he dives right back into relationship with God with a reckless abandon. He doesn't just stop doing bad, he begins to do even more good. The text tells us that King Jehoshaphat went out to the people to turn their hearts towards God. I I really believe that this means that the king himself, he goes and shares with the people himself. The king who in chapter 18 had a major slip up is now making sure that the people learn from his own mistakes. This takes courage to do. We also see here that Jehoshaphat appoints judges. These judges are in task with enforcing God's law as outlined in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. This included administering justice, protecting the rights of the people, promoting adherence to God's commands. He says to these judges in verse 6, Consider carefully what you do because you are judging for the Lord, not for yourselves. I believe in part why Jehoshaphat says this is because of his own experience of learning to choose God instead of choosing to be afraid of men. By following Ahab instead of following the Lord, he's learned a valuable lesson from this and he's imparting this to his people. He goes on, let the fear of the Lord be on you. Jehoshaphat made his error because he was influenced more by Ahab than what he thought, more than he was influenced by the Almighty God. And so now Jehoshaphat has learned and with a deepened conviction and courage, he has set a new course for the nation. And these judges are a huge step to influence Judah back on track with God. And this brings us to our second truth for this morning. Wisdom is found as we align our lives with the right influences. Wisdom is found as we align our lives with the right influences. We have all been influenced in our lives. It's impossible not to be influenced. It happens all the time. Sometimes we're unaware of how our lives are being influenced on a regular basis. But we do know what it's like to be influenced for the good, don't we? We we are inspired by the good that we see in others around us. The more we see people behave in positive ways that bless others, we're encouraged by that. When we see people do good, we want to do that good ourselves. We are inspired to sacrifice. When we see others have a heart of forgiveness, that's attractive to us. We want to forgive. When we see others exhibit unbelievable patience and kindness, what happens? We're like, man, why am I not doing those things? As we see others live out the virtues of Christ on a regular basis, we are drawn to do the same. We are influenced by that. But you know, we also understand what it's like to be influenced towards the bad, don't we? We know what it's like to see others who appear to have it all from an earthly perspective. 
We are often influenced to follow lifestyles that lead to empty promises. Short-term gains. You know, our culture, our Western values in particular, are sliding ever more towards being influenced by people who do not necessarily have our best interests at heart. Over the last decade or so, we have seen the exponential growth of social media According to the tech company Demand Sage, there are 4.9 billion with a B people actively who use social media. That's over 60% of the world's population. And this social media boom has given rise to the social media influencer. In case you were here this morning and you don't know what that is, a social media influencer is someone who is hired by a company or a name brand to market their product to influence public opinion. They build credibility and they build trust through regular posts and blogs that impact our thoughts, what we think, our feelings, how we feel, but most importantly, our responses. What influencers want to do, they want to influence our behavior, what we buy, how we think, where we go, what we do. Name brands love influencers because they create trends and fads that bolster sales. And guess what? It works. Don't get me wrong. Influences are not entirely a new thing. We have had advertising campaigns and magazines and television for a long time. However, what is new is the rate at which our attention is being influenced. We are being bombarded constantly with ideas and messages about who we should be, how we can measure up to their standards the standards of society. And here's the truth. The more that we try to measure up to their standards, the more difficult it will be for us to hear the Lord and be influenced by him only. Back in our text, Jehoshaphat has learned to seek God only. And now he is solidly seeking the Lord's influence, not only for his own life, but for the lives of his people as well. But now Jehoshaphat will be tested once more. His life story through chapter 17 through 20 is a little bit like a roller coaster. He starts out faithful with the Lord, following his ancestors. God has his back. But then obviously we just saw he makes a huge mistake by being influenced by an evil king, not listening to the prophets. But then he rebounds. He reinstitutes the worship of God again. He goes out as a missionary himself. But now he's going to be tested again. What will Jehoshaphat do? Because in chapter 20, he learns that the people of Ammon and Moab have come to wage war against him and the people of Judah. And to make matters worse, they are severely outnumbered. When Jehoshaphat hears this, it says in verse 3 that he is afraid, but he does not respond in his fear. Instead, he goes to God with his fears. He gathers all the people of Judah together in Jerusalem and they seek the Lord in prayer. We're going to pick the story back up in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. This is what, before all the people, Jehoshaphat declares to God, 
Our God, will you not judge them? Speaking of the Ammonites and the Moabites. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And pause there. Jehoshaphat doesn't call upon another neighboring king for help. He's got a ton of fighting men. He could have done that. He doesn't run away and hide. He doesn't seek after other idols. Maybe, maybe erect some more idol worship to, for them to help. He asks the one true God for help. This is biblical courage in action. You see, he admits his inadequacy. He says, God, I don't know what to do. He's the king. He's the one that's supposed to know what to do. But he says, God, I don't know what to do here, but our eyes are on you. You see, church, God loves for his people to display this type of dependency. And what's more, he is eager to respond to the cries of the faithful. Perhaps you are in the midst of a burden right now and you resonate with this plea that Jehoshaphat is crying out to God with, God, we do not know what to do. Friends, turn your eyes to the Lord. Turn your eyes to the Lord in the midst of that. He is there. He is waiting. He will respond. Moving on in verse 15. Here's the Lord's response to Jehoshaphat's plea. Speaking through Jahaziel, the Levite, we read in verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And as the story continues, Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, they believe. They believe that the battle belongs to the Lord. And so the next day when they prepare themselves for battle, they do not even bring conventional weapons with them. Instead, they arrive with the weapons of praise and worship to God. As the people of Judah begin to sing and praise, the Lord causes confusion amongst the enemy forces. The allied armies of Moab and Ammon turn against each other, leading to their own destruction in their confusion. When Jehoshaphat and his army arrive at the battlefield, they find their enemies already defeated because the battle belonged to the Lord. And this brings us to our third truth this morning. It takes courage to live like the battle belongs to the Lord. It takes courage to live like the battle belongs to the Lord. Imagine the courage it must have taken to go to the battlefield armed only with worship to God and still expecting a good outcome. It would have already have taken courage for them to face this, this horde, this mass, these armies outnumbered but the faith it would have taken to not even carry a weapon with you. But remember our definition of biblical courage from earlier, the ability to act in faith and trust God despite fear 
or uncertainty. Jehoshaphat believed in faith that the battle was the Lord's to win. The text tells us that he is afraid, but his trust overcame his fear and God delivered. Church family, what battles are you choosing to fight right now that really are the Lord's? You see, God is far better at fighting the battles in our lives than we could ever be. But I know what some of you may be thinking, really, how can God fight my battle? My battle with addiction. My battle with a burned relationship that's important to me. My financial hardships, my depression, etc. You see, church, Jehoshaphat gives us the blueprint here for what that looks like. Number one, he humbles himself. He clothes himself in humility. I don't know what to do, Lord. He gathers his people around him. He surrounds himself in community. And number three, he gives it to God in prayer. Friends, likewise, as you grow in your humility, as you dive into Christian community, what we're doing right now, instead of isolation, as you give it to the Lord in prayer, you will find it easier and easier to allow God to fight your battles in faith with courage. Because the truth is we are all in process, right? We're all on the journey. None of us have arrived. God is working on all of us. There is no shame in that. How many of you have ever heard of the show Fixer Upper? Good number of us. For those of you who don't know, on this show, Chip and Joanna Gaines take houses that are old and worn down and they bring them back to life. My wife and I watched this particular episode recently, and this is a still picture of Chip and Joanna walking through a house that was purchased sight unseen without an inspection during the height of the pandemic. This couple was unpleasantly surprised to find out that their new home was formerly owned by the world champion of hoarders. This is the moment where Chip opens up the refrigerator, and the moment he opens this fridge, and this actually really happens, an egg that was inside explodes. I guess it's the fresh air made it explode, and it, and it jumps out of the, the refrigerator and onto the floor. If you look closely, you'll notice Joanna in the back with her notebook over top of her face because she's literally getting ready to throw up. Um, her eyes were burning. It was a mess. But this show is wildly popular. Why do we like watching things like this? We love seeing things that were once a mess being brought back to life. We love seeing things renovated and restored, whether it is homes, whether it is cars, businesses, or people. This is just one of many shows on television dedicated to remodeling, renovating, restoring. And the reason why we are wired this way, we want to watch things like this, is because we are created in God's image and church. God is in the renovation business. He takes wounded sinners who are weak, and instead of just obliterating our weak spots, he camps out with us in our weakness he strengthens us in areas where we need it, becoming what we lack. 
This is what we saw happen over the course of Jehoshaphat's life this morning. And this is exactly what God wants to do in all of our lives as well. God is in the renovation business because he loves us. If I had a mirror for every one of you right now, I'd tell you to look in the mirror. Perhaps you can imagine this right now. Your face in the mirror. And I'd say, not only did God create that person that you're looking at, fashioning each and every detail, every DNA strand carefully, counting each single hair, but he genuinely loves the person reflected before you. I think one of the biggest problems in our world today is that much of the world has no idea of the love of God in their lives. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads as we begin to close our time this morning. I want you to try to keep that mirror image in your mind. And I want you to tell the reflection that you see how much God loves them. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you choose to believe this today, friends? Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can you choose to rest in the love of Christ for you today? First John 3, 1 tells us how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Can you choose to make his love enough for you today? With heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone here this morning that would identify with needing some renovation in their life today? Please lift your hand so I can be praying for you today. Brother, I see your hand. Sister, I see your hand. I see you up there in the balcony. Thank you. Amen. There are some of us here this morning that need to choose to make the decision to follow Jesus for the first time. Do not leave here today without knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. He died on the cross paying your sin debt that you might be free of the sin that entangles your life. He wants you to live 
in the victory his blood purchased. Do not miss the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. He loves you. Father God, as we close our service, we learn so much from Jehoshaphat's life. We learn about what does it look like to walk in courage along with you, to rebound from the mistakes in our lives because we believe that you love us in spite of our mistakes. Or we learned about the humility that we need to have before a holy God in order to be restored. And perhaps most importantly, Lord, we learned that the battle belongs to you. Lord, you go before us in all things. Nothing significant in this earth gets accomplished in our own strength. Everything that is worth any value is accomplished through you and through your work in our lives. Convince us of that. May we be courageous in those moments that we need to follow you, but believe that the battle is yours. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.